0: The fourth movement, entitled Nachmusik, as was the second, is everything implied by its principal tempo direction Andante Amoroso, and more. It is one of Mahler's most amorous and agreeable symphonic offerings, a chamber music serenade that recalls the beginnings of classical symphonic style, extremely close to divertimento, cassation, and serenade. Strumming guitar and mandolin add a touch of the remote past, evoking the music of medieval troubadours. Tender lyricism permeates the entire movement, evoking the world of Italian opera and the romantic aspects of Wagnerian music drama. Hans Redlich describes the movement as an attempt to recreate the vanishing world of medieval romanticism, with its nocturnal fountain murmurings, moonlight serenades, and the amorous strumming and retuning of guitar and mandolin. In keeping with his criticism of the other movements, Redlich thinks this one also suffers from, as he put it, unintended resemblances to other compositions. Of course, if these resemblances were intended as self-parody, as I contend, they would certainly not be evidence of a lack of creativity or inspiration. Floros describes this second Nachmusik as a night piece full of sweet voices of love, mysterious whispering, rippling of fountains, and rustling of linden trees in the moonlit square of a quaint little old town. Donald Mitchell compares it with the first music, as indoor music would be contrasted with open-air music. Peter Davidson relates the expression of romantic love in this andante to Wagner's Siegfried Idol. He sees Wagner's orientation as more personal, Mahler's more universal. One might also compare the Andante with an earlier slow movement that has a romantic character, the Adagietto from the Fifth Symphony. The principal themes of both movements have distinguishing characteristics. The Adagietto is bittersweet and rises to heights of passion, while the Andante is more congenial and charming and rarely becomes overcast with gloomy sentiments. Mahler's thoughts of love seem more self-assured and less subject to self-doubt in this andante than in the adagietto. The key factor in such a change of heart is most likely Mahler's marriage to Alma. Instrumentation for the andante is lighter and leaner than for the other movements, lacking heavy brass and percussion. Climaxes are achieved more by chromatic inflection than by marshalling large instrumental forces at crucial moments. Instead of extroverted emotions, Mahler expresses internalized feelings that may well have been repressed but are now released tenderly and warmly without grand rhetorical gestures or pathetic outpourings. Mahler creates several interesting and unusual effects during the movement. He begins with a descending phrase on the solo violin that relates to the theme of Schumann's ever popular Traumerei though it also has an affinity with the same composer's reverie from the fourth piece in the piano suite, Nachstücke Opus 23, a night piece in its own right. What is unusual about this opening violin solo is that it is merely a short cadential phrase that would be more suited to close a theme than begin it. It also keeps turning up as a ritornello during the movement's progress, always as a cadential phrase disengaged from any thematic material. Might Mahler have intended to spoof yet another traditional element of compositional practice with this curiously out-of-place opening cadential phrase? The lilting main theme is musically unrelated to the opening cadential phrase. A little chirping motive of clipped, double-dotted couplets introduces it in a manner that seems out of keeping with the gushing lyricism of the violin cadence. This motive sounds like the chirping of a cricket or some other night creature that intrudes upon a lover's effort to serenade his sweetheart. These chirping figures contrast with the lyrical theme in a manner that might relate to the more obtrusively annoying interruptions of Beckmesser's song in Act Two of De Meistersinger by Sock's cobbling with his hammer. A solo horn carries the main theme, dominating the principal sections especially in the cantalenas of the B-flat major middle section. This lovely song theme is always prefaced by soft light strumming on the guitar in the style of a moonlight serenade. In earlier works, Mahler wrote passages for other instruments to imitate the guitar. The harp played with a plectrum in the finale of the Sixth Symphony and strummed chords on the piano in the early song fantasy. The mandolin's appearance foreshadows its use in both the Eighth Symphony and Das Lied von der Erde. Mengelberg's score of the seventh contains a notation about how the mandolin is to be played that may well have come from Mahler himself. He writes, All quarter and half notes are tremolos, all eighth notes ordinary. This direction aptly corresponds with the Italian school of mandolin playing. The delicate lyrical melody that begins on the horn is set against the chirping woodwind figure that is similar to a motive from the slow movement of the sixth symphony, and is a variant of the motive of childhood innocence. Baroque rhythms relate the fourth movement to the first. Occasional oriental harmonies add a mystical quality to the music. The orchestration is brilliantly conceived. Mahler uses every imaginable orchestral resource for its special coloration and creates a chamber music quality with a variety of interesting instrumental combinations that enhance the night music atmosphere. Rippling rhythmic effects in the accompaniment recall the third symphony's Nietzsche movement. The major to minor chordal motive of fate is given an unusual twist, sometimes momentarily darkening the atmosphere, threatening to disturb its serenity. Twice, the horn melody seems to be trying to rise from the tonic to the mediant of F, but each time it only succeeds in reaching the minor mediant A-flat. The third time it finally reaches the sought-after A with a sense of achievement and relief that carries it up higher to C for a soulful post-refrain. The middle section captivates with its long cantabile theme for solo horn. Briefly, the violin takes over this lovely theme with mandolin accompaniment but the guitar makes no appearance during the middle section. A cadential phrase on overlapping 16th note figuration also appears in the slow movement of both the 4th and 5th symphonies. When the music becomes more passionate, threatening to disturb the calm composure of the evening song, it is soon gently brought under control. During the first principal section, a series of double-noted open fifths rise upward in the orchestra appearing at first as a variation on the repeated notes of the main theme. Most commentators compare this passage to the tuning of a guitar on which Haydn punned so delightfully in his Symphony No. 60, Il Distrato. But there is another way of viewing this passage. After the double-noted phrase, a dactylic figure from the main theme is added, giving the entire phrase a melodic contour it makes it beyond a spoof of tuning fifths. It sounds more like a clever variation on one of the most popular of children's night songs, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Of course, this tune has been set to many different texts. For example, in French, it is called A Vous De Maman. Mozart set 12 variations uh, on the French version of this nursery tune in his Kerschel 265 while Ernst von Dachnani's Variations on a Nursery Tune relates to the children's tune, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. A variant on this passage occurs during the finale, creating an important link between the last two movements. Although we have no evidence that Mahler had such a reference in mind, it would not be out of keeping either with the supposed nocturnal subject of the seventh or with Mahler's fondness for subtle, sometimes childlike humor and musical reminiscences of childhood. Might Mahler have sung some version of this song to his children? If he intended to play upon this nursery rhyme, it would be perhaps his most ingenious witticism in the entire symphony. Even if not, the comparison would probably have tickled his fancy. The Andante movement opens with the charming little cadential phrase played by solo violins. This lovely four-bar phrase descends from its initial upward leap of an octave on a dactylic rhythm that relates to the tapping figure from the second movement. It is followed immediately by the chirping motive on a clarinet and a delicately wrought variant of the motive of the devil's dance on the bassoon, contrasting the melting lyricism of the cadential phrase with the flitting playfulness of the chirping and devil's dance motives provides the basic musical duality of the movement. After but a few measures, the first horn enters softly with the main theme. It begins on a rising fourth, Mahler's favorite interval, which plays a significant role in many of the themes in the seventh. It continues with couplets of repeated notes that recall the answer phrase from their introduction to the second movement, and proceeds with a measure of the devil dance motive, followed by two dactylic figures. Thus, at the very outset, rhythmic and melodic aspects of the light simple subject relate to principal motives used earlier in the symphony. An oboe plays an afterphrase to the theme that is a further extension of the devil's dance rhythm, the chirping motive, and the dactylic figure. The scoring is sparse, with lighter winds prominent. Eighth note figures on the harp and strings sound like the occasional strumming of the guitar that accompanies them. Mahler shifts timbres from high woodwinds to mellow horns and cellos. Plucked strings enhance the ambiance of a warm summer evening sparkling with starlight. Soon the descending cadential phrase reappears in solo violin, like a natural outgrowth of the main theme's extension in high cellos. Hushed strings develop the extension of the principal theme on a warm, tender phrase that tries to hide its resemblance to a figure from the fourth Kintoton leader. Here's the passage in the Andante. As we just heard, once again the cadential phrase returns, now in solo cello, and leads back to the main theme in the first horn with guitar and harp accompaniment. How thoroughly captivating this theme sounds when played by an intimate chamber group. A turn figure is added to the end of the theme, giving it a yearning quality that looks forward to the movement entitled On Beauty from Das Lied von der Erde. Oboes and mandolin play a variant of this theme in which repeated eighths combine with dactylic figures. The passage concludes on the cadential phrase played with fervent emotion by the solo violin. From this point, violins develop the first theme, adding a falling 16th note tag that is an inverted variant of a similar figure that appears in the finale of the 6th symphony. This tag end combines with the Chirping and Devil's Dance figures in a lightly scored passage for strings with guitar and horn. As the Serenade theme continues to develop, it becomes more impassioned, its little tag alternating with the Chirping motive. In a short time, the theme's romantic passion is brought under control, but rather than returning to the delicate strains of the Serenade, a dark shadow descends upon the scene for a moment as low strings and bassoons play a minor key version of the first theme. Without hesitation, and just as quickly as this dark cloud appeared on the horizon, a crescendo leads to a trilled seventh chord that gently slips back into the first theme in the tonic major. It is played cheerfully by an oboe, with the solo violin adding the tag as rhythmic accompaniment. High woodwinds and violins expand upon the theme's rhythmic elements, inverting the 16th note figure. Solo violin begins to rhapsodize on the theme. First violins join in, propelling the theme forward rapidly on a bit of 16th note figuration that is suspiciously similar to the Piumoso interruptions of the trio theme in the Scherzo movement. But this figuration is cut off abruptly, and the simple serenade of the first subject resumes as if unaffected by the sudden surge of passion that threatened to overwhelm it. After flutes and clarinet play upon the main theme's rhythmic figures for a few bars to the accompaniment of a strumming guitar and broken chords on the harp, what I call the twinkle passage begins. A sequence of repeating quarter note couplets related to the first theme's repeated double notes. It begins in low strings, guitar, and plectrum plucked harp. These double notes rise upward in sequence giving the appearance of a circle of fifths that might be used in the tuning process caricatured by Haydn. But Mahler uses diminished intervals that give this series of double tones an air of mystery. Then they give way to the dactylic rhythm from the main theme. Woodwinds take over the twinkle phrase to the accompaniment of the mandolin. Then high and low strings, without violas, play a variation of it, this fascinating passage will return in the finale in a slightly different guise, ultimately becoming the quintessential night song. As we just heard, a light and airy passage on the principal rhythmic elements of the first subject takes over in a small grouping of winds and mandolin in A-flat major. Violins play a variant of the main theme against a counter variation in cellos, the former on a falling phrase, the latter on a rising one. As this music expands, a sudden blast of wind drives the violins to their highest register the music threatening to burst out in a flood of emotion, but instead it quickly softens and the tonality shifts to F minor on the dactylic rhythm, followed by the brisk 16th note tag. Once more a gust of wind stirs the air, but this time the minor key variant of the first theme that darkened the atmosphere earlier returns more emphatically in an elongated version. It is still played quietly, but sounds more sinister than before. Dark, gruesome sounds give way to a boisterous combination of cross rhythms from the first subject that skip along merrily to music played quietly in its first appearance and now played forcefully. Such quick mood swings add a comical touch to the moonlight serenade. After further development, the first subject concludes and the twinkle passage returns, played briefly and softly by the low strings. The middle section in B-flat major follows, featuring one of Mahler's loveliest themes, a rhapsody played with flowing grace in the high register of the cellos. It is actually an expanded version of a cello phrase heard earlier here accompanied by two types of bird sounds, the chirping motive and a twittering figure of repeated sixteenths that begins on a rising third or falling fourth. Notice how the conjunction of a lyrical melody and flickering sounds replicates the opening section of the movement. Let's begin the next excerpt with the twinkle phrase that leads into the trio. With a key change to G-flat, the violins bring in a more passionate variation of the trio theme that incorporates the motive of longing, certainly appropriate in a serenade. Its after theme consists of the first measure of the trio theme, repeated three times and decorated with isolated plucks on the mandolin that make it sound flippantly gay in contrast with the romantic effusions of the trio theme. Soon the trio theme becomes more impassioned, The same combination of eighth note and dotted rhythms from the opening A section follow, providing yet another curious contrast between heightened passion and childlike playfulness. A somewhat mellower treatment of the cello theme, now in F major, regains its former ardor as it ascends in the strings. After reaching a high point on an inverted variant of longing motive that recalls the Fifth Symphony's adagietto, the theme's passions cool and the music softens on a suspended Brucknerian F major chord with rising harp arpeggios, ending with a fragment of the trio theme played by an oboe and French horn. At the end of the last excerpt, we heard the opening cadential phrase, absent for a long time, now reappearing to usher in the reprise of the A section, with its first theme again played by solo horn and its dactylic after theme by solo violin. Violins follow with a calm variation of the first theme against which cellos muse over a phrase taken from their trio theme. How serene the music becomes, wafting gently through the summer air on the violins expanded treatment of the first theme which ends with the der churn motive. Solo cello then sings the cadential phrase which leads back to the first theme played softly by the first horn. A hint of the twinkle phrase follows, incorporating repeating eighths from the first subject and a flickering figure in bassoons. The segment concludes with a brief climax on an overlapping sequence of the descending 16th note tag that recalls a similar climactic passage in the 5th symphony's adagietto movement. Only the sound of the guitar can now be heard plucking its repeating notes, skipping the first downbeat of each grouping as if in imitation of a dance. The second part of the first subject begins softly in violins, also off the beat. As the tempo presses forward, the music becomes increasingly arduous and more agitated. It would seem that the serenader is again in danger of losing control of his emotions. The music becomes increasingly passionate on a variation of the first subject's after-theme. At the height of this emotional outpouring, low woodwinds and strings state the first theme rather darkly and with uncharacteristic assertiveness. Their ardent outpouring quickly abates as the first theme returns with its lightness and delicacy unaffected by any blush of embarrassment at the momentary discomposure. Let's listen from the guitar solo. Chirping sounds return in woodwinds and staccatissimo violins. A clarinet and then flute and violin take up the after theme with its gently rocking, chirping motive. During the closing section, the orchestra pairs down to a chamber ensemble, as in the movement's opening. A variety of rhythmic and thematic fragments from the first subject are sprinkled lightly about the reduced orchestra. How delightful to hear again the delicately tripping dactylic figure decorated with guitar strumming and the flickering of the devil's dance motive in its uncharacteristic guise as frippery. Glittering trills and grace notes ornament the main theme. Gently, the glow of moonlight begins to fade as evening turns into night and thematic material breaks into fragments as the movement draws to a close. Various woodwinds sing the first theme softly against the sustained high F in violins. A warm glow envelops the summer evening atmosphere. Twittering sounds, first heard on the clarinet at the beginning of the trio, are flicked out on repeated staccatissimo notes by violins. In the closing measures, Mahler parodies the chirping motive played in double time on a rather boisterous bassoon against the dactylic figure of the first theme, sweetly intoned by muted horns, accompanied by heavenly string chords. One can almost smell the sweet air of the summer's evening, despite the distraction of incessant chirping, now quietly but arrogantly asserted by a bassoon. The double notes with which the first theme begins sound softly in low strings, and are succeeded by a two-note flicker of the chirping motive in the flute. All these delicate sounds are played against a long, sustained trill in the clarinet. The trill eventually gives way to a turn figure that ends on an F major chord, which provides the harmonic backdrop for the guitar to close the movement tenderly with an arpeggiated chord. Mahler will use precisely the same upward-arching turn figure to close his Ninth Symphony.